Welcome to Working From The Inside Out with Finesse Equestrian and your host, Ali O'Brien. Join us as we unpack the equestrian dream, talking to incredible riders, equine experts, and a few of our own tips too. Welcome to the Working From The Inside Out podcast. And today I have with me Warwick Schiller, all the way in America right now. And I don't think that Warwick really needs much of an introduction, but I'll let him have a little chat about who he is and what he does. But I was very lucky back in, I think it was 2013, to go and spend a couple of months with Warwick and his family. And that time really shaped for me, the way forward with horses and my career and what I do today. So thank you for that, Warwick, and thank you for joining me today to have a chat. Um, But I'll hand it over to you anyway, and maybe you can start off just by telling us a little bit about your past uh, with horses and the journey it's taken you on to where you are now and, and what you do. Okay, thanks, Ali. Thanks for having me on here. Um, yeah, and it was a pleasure to have you those uh, years ago, whenever that was. Was that 2013, was it? Yeah, it feels like yeah, it was yeah, yesterday, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. it's flowing by. I've been under the bridge since then. Um, so a little bit about me. I grew up in Australia, uh, went to pony, pony club as a kid, and then we showed uh, quarter horses. I um, came to America in 1990. I to learn about training reining horses, and I just wanted to – I really wanted to work for someone for a year and learn a bit about it so I could go home and just mess with, with uh, my own horses and uh, ended up staying. Well, I went home for a bit, but then I came back and married Robin and been here since, since then. Um, and for the longest time, I, the reining was my – uh, my interest, my passion, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. Um, and along the way of learning how to train the reining horses better, I really started looking into the whole, you know, non-denominational horsemanship side of it, you might want to call it, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And um, just to help start the young horses better. And, and from that, I got a bit of an understanding of how horses work and what causes things to go wrong. And so I ended up getting, you know, a number of what people might call problem horses. Yeah, uh, and helping those really, you know, really got me thinking about things differently, I guess. And then I don't know. Probably the big change was about four years ago. Robin bought a, uh, a new reining horse that uh, was a tremendous athlete, but he has some quirks. He spooked to the judges' chairs, and at the time, you know, I was doing clinics all around the world, presenting at horse expos around the world. You know, everything's going great. I can fix anything. Mm. Uh, buy the damn horse and I'll fix the problem. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we bought that horse. His name is Sherlock. And the, the the spooking wasn't really a problem, but he was just a very, very weird, shut-down sort of a horse. And nothing I had done in the past actually could get through to him to make him any different. I mean, so I actually stopped, you know, after a few months, I stopped actually trying to change him at all and just left him how he was. But it kind of opened my mind up to looking at things outside the box. And, and for the most part, I've always been a bit of an outside-the-box thinker, but I realised outside the box I was looking outside of, there was a whole nother lot of boxes I'd never even heard of before. So mm-hmm. he kind of took me on a bit of a journey 
looking into all sorts of weird, what I used to call weird things. You know, initially it was uh, clicker training. That mm-hmm. was the first out-of-the-box thing I, I looked into. And then, uh, yeah, it's just gone on from there. That is super cool. And did you? how did you come across each of the things that sort of led you on that journey? Oh, good question. So the clicker training, I was presenting at a horse expo in Los Angeles, and one of the things I had to do there was a uh, like a spoken thing, you know, so it's like a stand-up lecture. Mm-hmm. And a girl named Mary Kipsmiller was on before me, and I'd heard Mary's name before. I wasn't sure what she did. Uh, I knew she'd done some Mustang stuff, and I knew she was quite good. And uh, her book went over time so I got there to start mine and she hadn't finished yet so I had to sit and wait to get the microphone off her. <laughs> we're talking about clicker training you know and the from what she was saying it's like oh so the rules are exactly the same like it makes sense you know clicker training what she was saying makes sense to me so when I got the microphone off her, I introduced myself to her and said um I want to talk to you about that later. Where's your booth? And she goes, oh, I'll come find your booth. So she ended up coming back to our booth and sat in the booth with me for a couple of hours and um, told me all about it. You know, Mary could train can train a horse like at the time I thought a horse should be trained and still chose to do clicker training. I'm like, well, if you can do what you can do, why would you even consider this stuff? And so she told me all her reasons and um, – that kind of, you know, got me looking into that, which it might seem like it's a lot different, but it's actually the same. Like the, mm. the, the rules are the same, the applic- you know, when you can go forwards the same, when you have to go back to the beginning is the same. So it was actually quite easy to follow yes. for me. Um, and Mary said to me, you know, it just comes at, from, at them from a different part of their brain and uh, definitely Sherlock needed that. So that was how I found the clicker training. That's awesome. And and so you found that the clicker training made a big difference for him? Um, it made a big difference with a lot of horses, not with him, though. Right. Um, so it, was a, it was a gateway into him, but, um, you know, he's he's phenomenally shut down. So um, and he's still, you know, he's always going to probably be a bit of a weird sort of horse, but um, – you know, probably the biggest thing that made a difference with him was I spent six months doing nothing but – at least six months, maybe eight months doing nothing but counter-conditioning. And I was counter-conditioning him to human presence. And so, as you would know, Ellie, counter-conditioning is not actually training a horse to do something. Mm. It's changing their perception of yes. something. And he thought people – you know, he didn't, he didn't think much of people at all. And so I made sure every interaction I had with him was a positive one. And so what I would do with him is just go out in the pasture where he lived and walk up and shove a cookie in his mouth. Initially, I had to shove a cookie in his mouth because he wouldn't come over to you to get it. But after a while, you'd walk out there and he'd see you coming. And we have our horses all fed in big, slow feeder bunker things out there. They've always got, you know, they've got 24-hour access to hay. And uh, he'd pull his, see me coming, and he'd pull his head out of that and come walking up and, and still kind of stand offish. But, uh, you know, I probably did six months of nothing but uh, – feeding them cookies and, and in the past they used to say I don't feed your horse cookies I don't need treats or whatever mm-hmm. and I think everything you do is right or everything you do is wrong depending on the horse and so he lived in a pasture with Bundy and Murray and Murray was a little bit weird too so I would go out there and give Murray one cookie Sherlock 
ball cookies and Bundy no cookies because if you started feeding Bundy cookies, he'd turn into the cookie monster, you know. So, uh, you know, I think there's nothing you do that's right, nothing you do that's wrong. It just depends on whether it's a good idea for that particular horse or not. But that was probably the thing that made the biggest difference with him was just not asking anything of him but interacting with him quite a bit but not asking anything of him. Yeah, that's really cool. So I guess uh, still using food as a motivator, I guess, but um, but unlike clicker training, you weren't using any, you weren't asking anything of him. It was just sort of about creating like a feel-good situation. Yeah, and, and something else that I did was we had those hands-on gloves, those grooming gloves, so I put one of them on and I just walked out in the pasture and I'd walk up to him and just find his itchy spot and just rub on him for five or ten minutes and then just walk off and a lot of my interactions with him were were just like that too yeah that's super cool and so what is he like now oh he's a, he's so much better he's you know he's on the outside now like he's he's in the real world he's woke as you might say <laughs> yeah um, you know his ears work his eyes work he licks and chews easily he, he was basically stuck stuck in low level sympathetic nervous system all the time, like he didn't mm. hardly lick and chew. When you go to put the bit in his mouth, you'd have to prise his mouth open. When you go to take it out, you have to prise it open. Wow. Um, yeah, he was just very, 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 very stuck, you might say. Yep. And so, um, for those that don't know, what what do you mean by stuck in a low level uh, sympathetic nervous system? Oh, okay, I can cover that real quick. So, you know, all we, all mammals have a sympathetic and a parasympathetic nervous system. So the parasympathetic nervous system is your basically your rest and relaxation state with horses that, you know, you could call it rest and digest. They're either laying down sleeping, standing up, dozing, hanging out, or grazing. Mm. Um, you know, that's – so that's the parasympathetic nervous system. Now, let's say your, your horse is out in uh, – like in New Zealand, he's in the paddock and he's eating grass – and a car drives by and backfires, and he picks his head up to meet in the grass. And maybe he's got a bit of grass hanging out the side of his mouth, you know. He picks his head up to look at the car to see, should I flee or is it okay? You might notice sometimes you see them, they'll pick their head up, whether eating grass or hay or whatever, and there's a piece of hay or grass hanging out the side of their mouth from it, and they stop chewing. And then when they discern that, no, it's not going to hurt them, they'll put their head back down and go back to chewing. What happens, what's happened there is that it's gone into the start of the sympathetic nervous system, which is the fight or flight sort of zone. Um, and what happens when they go into that sympathetic nervous system is the body starts shutting off blood supply to the extremities, like, you know, starting with the, the, the mouth. So horses don't need to eat while the lion is chasing them. So they, <laughs> they uh, you know, they, they shuts off the blood supply to the mouth, but Horses are nose breathers, and so they need a, a lip seal. They need to actually clamp their lips together to be as aerobically um, efficient as possible. And so there's a lot of research these days actually in the racehorses and bits and trying to find bits that don't crack that lip seal because they aren't as they aren't as efficient aerobically mm -hmm. if that lip seal is cracked. So a horse basically clamps their lips shut, they stop chewing, the blood supply goes away from their face. It actually the, they they um center the blood supply in their torso. And if you've ever seen a human being get a fright and they go pale, that's exactly what's happened there is that when you, they've gone into the sympathetic nervous system, the blood is drained from their face and the, the body um puts all the blood around your major organs. You know, we need our heart to pump blood, we need our lungs to work. We're not worried about 
fun stuff right now. We're worried about staying alive. And so when a horse goes in that sympathetic nervous system, in the wild, they're in eating, you know, then a lion comes along, they run away, the lion goes away, they lick and chew and go back to the sympathetic, parasympathetic nervous system. But so Sherlock was shut down as in he was kind of stuck in low-level sympathetic nervous system. Um, so and a lot, I think a lot of human beings are that way too. You know, we, we live kind of stressful lives and you, we can kind of get stuck a bit that way. And when you're stuck that way, I don't think you even – I don't think you even know you're stuck that way. Um mm-hmm. You know, this becomes a, a how you are sort of thing. But the, the yeah, so the thing with Sherlock, he was he was quite shut down. Um, and he, you know, he's so much so much better now. But it's still, you know, it's I'm not sure he'll ever be back to being a real horse. You know what I mean? Like a real, real horse. He's pretty good now. But I mean, yeah. that's not anything of him. I think you know, under saddle, he's still because he was a reiner, he's just very obedient. But um, you know, I haven't ridden him for, oh, I don't know, he probably hasn't been ridden since October and he barely got ridden much last year. We hopped on him and rode him around a bit. Oh, I, actually, I thought I was going to I thought I was gonna break him out for the World of Question Games when, when Petey, the horse I was going to take, came up a bit lame. Yes. But, but Sherlock told me very soon that, no, that's, I'm not ready for that. Because <laughs> he, has the he has the talent to compete at that level. I mean, he's very, very talented. He's more talented than the one I took, Petey. Uh-huh. But, you know, mentally he just wouldn't be able to handle that. Yeah. And do you think, or is it just got kind of, um, you just have to go with the flow and see whether one day he will be uh, ready for that again? Or, um, well, I, don't, I don't think Sherlock will ever go back to doing the running. Yeah. Um, I would just like him to, to be a regular horse, you know. Um, I would like him to be just on the outside when you're riding him around. Yeah. I'd like him to be. I mean, if I could get that, he could probably do anything. But, but uh, yeah, he has a lot of associations with bad things being written. And I don't mean bad things like um, things were done nastily to him. I, I really think horses are very much like people. Some people, you know, are very, very sensitive. Some people aren't as sensitive. And I think Sherlock's very, very, very sensitive. I think he's like a lot of shut-down horses. Mm. He's very sensitive. And the reason he shut down is because he couldn't control what happened to him. You know, he's... I think a lot of a lot of times, like wild horses, can get that way a bit if you're not careful with them. If you if you do much stimulus, they can you know they can't make it go away, so they just kind of go inside their heads a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And I see now that I've seen that, I see it in lots and lots and lots of horses. Not near as bad as Sherlock, but I'm starting to you know I really can notice very very little subtle signs of low level. Things like that, and so the, the the more of those little times you can see, the more you can take steps to correct it before it turns into, you know, a Sherlock type situation. Yeah, it's really interesting. As you were saying that, it reminded me of um, a horse that I worked with, probably not long after I came back from um, being over there with you, and um, the lady had hit this horse and. Um, I think it was two or three of the siblings as well. And he was in quite a mess, um, like a real anxious type and and just not happy mentally. And she said to me, I just don't get it. I've treated him exactly the same as his siblings and they've all turned out fine, but he's a total mess. Because <laughs> uh, he's different than his siblings. 
Yeah, so so that uh, I guess reminded me of that moment when when you said about how how some of uh, some horses and some people it's not necessarily that they've had anything done badly or bad to them. Um, I guess it's just about how they perceive things. I, I, I really I really think so. You know, what's good for one horse is not good for another one, and and you know it, that. Knowing that makes it easier and it makes it harder. It makes it harder to teach people because you know I used to be I used to be able to give black and white answers to questions. Uh, these days I really don't have a lot of black and white answers because I don't think uh, it's a black and white solution. I don't think it's a black and white problem. Yeah. Yep. So much about context and and everything else. Yeah. Probably. The, I mean, we'll probably get into this later, but probably the biggest thing these days I'm really starting to realise is how much horses can read your energy and read your intention and almost read your mind. And, you know, given clinics for a few years and years and years, you know, I used to I used to think there were some people who weren't ever going to get it. You know, some people can get it and some people don't. And I couldn't figure out why the ones that, that, that didn't get it couldn't get it. And I'm starting to realise now that it's a lot of times those people are quite uh, incongruent and our good friend Jane Pike from New Zealand Jane you know mm. Jane says that whole fake it to you make it thing she says that's basically BS yes. because horses are very very good at reading incongruency and an incongruency is when your inner landscape and your outer landscape don't match up you know what you're feeling inside and what you're doing with your body are two different things and I think when people try to fake it till they make it, so they put on this brave face on the outside, but then they have this this worry inside, that Mm. actually is probably worse, I think, than just showing on the outside how worried you are. I think horses are probably much better with that than they are with the whole, you know, putting on a brave face thing. And I was at a horse expo recently and something popped into my head about that and I've been using it since, but I said, you know, think about this. If you ever watch like National Geographic and there's a herd of zebras out there grazing and there's a lion walking past in the background and the zebras don't even pick their head up and look at him because they can sense that he's walking past mm. with intent of walking past. Like he's, he's, he's just walking past and he's not thinking about them, he's just walking past and he's the same on the inside as the outside. As soon as that lion starts to go, Okay, I'm going to pretend I'm walking past, but really I'm thinking of sneaking over here and eating one of those zebras. The energy changes, and I bet that's when the head pops up. I'm like, something's not right here, and I think, I think one of the survival tools is reading that incongruent behaviour. And when those, you know, when the lion starts to act incongruently, like on the outside he says I'm just walking by, but inside that intensity comes like I'm going to do something or other. I really starting to think. Um, that's where a lot of people, I think, have trouble with their horses is that, that yes. you know, those two things don't line up. And, you know, they use horses a lot for equine-assisted therapy, all that sort of stuff these days, and I think that's one reason they're very good at it because whatever you show up with, they can tell. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's interesting you're saying that um, – uh, oh gee, when was it? A few years ago now, when I was doing um, the the Kaimanua Stallion Challenge with mm-hmm. uh, Tama, my first Kaimanua, and I was it was within the first couple of weeks, and I was sitting on the side of the yard, 
and he he is a very stoic type of horse and um I was I just couldn't I wasn't getting anywhere with him and he would always keep me just far enough away and one evening I was sitting there and I was watching this bird and it just flew in and landed on him and I thought, you bastard, why Why is the bird allowed to land on you? But yeah. I'm not. And uh, so it kind of, I had this light bulb moment. And so I wrote an article on it and I and I talked about being the bird and, uh, and basically just that, that the bird's intention was none other than to just fly in there and sit on his back and I'd been this whole time creeping around him and um and trying to convince him that I didn't want to do anything but really I wanted to have him ready for equidays that was coming up in four months time (laughs) right and I think they they read it that's really where I'm at these days is is really um understanding that and uh, something I've been doing a lot I mean, personally, but having other people, suggesting other people do it too, is having people learn how to meditate. Yes. Away from the horses. Um, I really think, you know, have you ever read Animals in Translation by um, Temple Grandin? I haven't, no. I've read um, some of her other books, but I haven't read that one. That's the only one I have read, so I don't know what her other ones say. But in, so, you know, she's autistic and she says in that book that, she thinks that animals she thinks she sees in pictures. She doesn't, you know, doesn't think in words, she thinks in pictures and she says animals do the same and they they can basically see the picture in your head. Mm-hmm. And you've got that internal dialogue going, just that that blah 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 but that we have in our heads all the time. Um, you know, basically comes across as white noise to horses. And I'm really starting to believe that because the the, the the better I get at the, the meditating stuff and being present, the much bigger difference it makes for the horses. And, you know, you've been to my clinics before and stuff, and I've always told people, you know, I'm not very talented, but I have a process. Mm. And if you do that process into small enough pieces, you can train horses to do things really well. I said, I know other people who are talented, but I'm not talented. Well, I think I'm starting to realize what talent is, and I think talent is the ability to be present while you're doing stuff. And I know. Because I found that you have to, I have these days. I have to do less technique, less stuff, less training than I used to do mm. to get the same results, if not better. Yeah, that's amazing, isn't it? So, what to led you to in. that part? How, how did you How did you find that part out? Uh, good question. Um, Uh, we'll have to get back to that because I have to think of the answer to that one. I can't think of right off the bat where exactly that came from. Yeah. Um, I know that I saw you recently, um, and I think that was when I sent you a message to ask if we could have a chat uh, after I, after you did a post about uh, a lady at one of your clinics and you had her counting the flicks on her lead oh, rope. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, what was what was that story? So, um, lovely lady, but she's like a very anxious sort of a person, mm-hmm. even without a horse in front of her. And, and she's, you know, she's probably a bit anxious around a horse too. And uh, the first day at the clinic, like you can almost feel the energy up. Like she's kind of buzzing. Like 
And uh, that night we went to dinner. She sat beside me at dinner and, and she I could, she was just buzzing then, you know. And mm-hmm. she's like, uh, uh, excuse me, uh, 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 excuse me, or can I ask you a question? Like, sure, you can ask a question. She goes, uh, uh, um, uh, 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 do you think we could, I could ride my horse tomorrow? Now, she hasn't ridden a horse for a couple of years. Like, mm-hmm. she's gone back and done all the groundwork and, you know, hadn't ridden a horse for a couple of years. And I said, yeah, well, you know. If it looks good, we can we can do that. So the next day when she came in the arena, she was still kind of the same way. Like, uh, uh, think we can write today? Think we can write today? Think we can write today? And that was all she was thinking about. Yes. And so she had a, you know, a yacht braid marine rope, uh, and, uh, you know, a yacht braid lead rope, and it was one of those white ones that has the red fleck through it. So I said to her, hey, uh, I've always wondered, I wonder how many re- these red dots are in this whole lead rope. You think you could count it for me? And so I asked him to do that, and I left the line for, I don't know, 20 minutes, half an hour or something. And I came back over to her, I said, so uh, how many is there? And she says, there's 886. And I said, oh, good job. She goes, i got to tell you, I cheated. I counted half of it and then doubled it. So I got to 443, halfway down, then I doubled it. I said, okay, that's good. And she seemed a lot calmer, you know, Mm -hmm. she was a lot more about things, and so she said, what should I do now? I said, oh, just, just hang out there. Just don't do anything. Just hang on for a bit. And about 10 minutes later, that horse lay down and went to sleep in the arena. It's never laid down around her before. Wow. Um, she really ever sees it laying down. I actually had to go over and rub on it and actually sit on her back. Um, uh-huh. And it was just, I think it was just the fact that she was present. Yes, yes. So she could let go of that forward thinking that she'd been doing uh, beforehand. Yeah, I, and, and uh, I've been doing that with a number of people lately. Is just giving them something to do that takes that that causes them to be. It's like a mindfulness practice, you know. When she was counting that, she can't count it and then forget she was counting. She's got to. One, two, she's got to keep the number going in her head and stay focused on that. And I really think um, the ability to be just really in the moment, I think that's I think that's the ability that really talented people have, especially talented people who are – I'm not talking about talented as in, you know, Olympic-level show jumper. I'm not saying they have it or they don't have it. But I'm talking about talented like people who can really get along with any horse. Yes. Um, I really think that the really good people like that are, are very, very – very, very present. Um, mm. You know, I read a story last – I met an old guy last year, old cowboy guy who was a friend of Tom Dorrance's, and he told me that uh, Tom came to visit him one time, and at the time he had this wild barn cat. He said it was black and white, but that's all I could tell you about it. I couldn't tell you where the markings were. I couldn't tell if it had a white patch on its left eye or whatever because it just flitted from here to there, like, you know, like they do, like wild barn cats do. He says it drinks the water, eats the food, but I never really see it long enough to be able to tell exactly what it looks like. And he said, um, Tom came to visit, pulled up out the front and came in the barn. They sat down and started chatting. And he said about half an hour later, that barn cat flitted past on the other end of the barn aisle. And then half an hour after that, it was halfway down the barn aisle. And they sat there and talked for quite a while. And half an hour later, it was rubbing its head on Tom's leg. <laughs> he said, stayed for two days, the cat followed him around like a dog for two days, and when Tom left, the cat went back to being wild. Wow. He looked the cat, touched the cat, called the cat, beckoned the cat, acknowledged the cat. Mm-hmm. And so there's, there's just something about him. And um, when you asked a minute ago where did that whole 
being present meditation thing first started, I think it really started thinking about it. There's an old Ray Hunt saying, they know when you know and they know when you don't. And I've always thought that that saying was a bit hokey or, you know, I, I, it didn't resonate with me. Like, what did they know? Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, and I read, no, I think it was a Joe Walter clinic. Didn't you go to a Joe Walter clinic when you were over here? I did, yep. So it was a Joe, I think it was an article by Joe Walter. And if it wasn't Joe, it was someone else who was around Ray a lot, but I think it was Joe. Yes. He, was, he said, you need to be aware of what your horse's ears are doing. You need to be aware of what his eyes are doing, if there's any tension in them. If, are they round? Are they almond-shaped? You need to be aware of what his nostrils are doing. Are they small? Are they big? Are they the same size? Is one up? Is one down? You need to be aware of what their lips are doing. You need to be aware of how they're holding their neck. You need to be aware of the tension or lack of tension in their back. You need to be aware of their breathing. You need to be aware of their tail. Is it clamped? Is it up? What's what's it doing? You need to be aware of where their feet are placed because they know when you know and they know when you don't. <laughs> mm. And I was like, oh, that's what that means. It means they know when you are aware of what's going on right there and that's just being present. Yes, yeah. And, and I think – there's, I think there's, you know, a lot of people I think are around their horses are not present. Mm. You know, they're thinking about what they're going to do next. You know, I'm going to get on, I'm going to go for a trial ride. I had a bad day at work. I've got to cook dinner. I've got to pick the kids up from school, that sort of thing. But then I think other people are around their horse who are very, very aware of what their horse is doing, but they're not present because they are, they have a judgment, they have a, they have a narrative. They have a story about what their horse is doing. So the horse picks its head up and looks at something. Its ears prick. Instead of going, okay, my horse's head is up, his ears are pricked, and he's looking at something, they say those words, and then they go, and then he's going to spook, and then he's going to run sideways, and he's going to step on my toe, and then, and then, and then, and then. And that in itself is not being present either. Yes. You know, being present is being present without judgment. Is being Basically being present is being observant, without judgment because as soon as you are judging, you are no longer present because mm. in that situation, the horse is not spooking and jumping on my toe and I'm going to fall over and he's going to run off and then he's going to get out on the road and the car's going to hit him and yada, I'm going to go to court. None of that stuff is actually happening right now. And so, um, you know, so that's – I think there's two different ways you can be – or three different ways you can be. You can be not present so you have no idea what your horse is doing. You can be aware enough to know exactly what your horse is doing and then add a story to it. And you can be present, which is just being aware of what's going on moment to moment without judging it. Mm, yeah, I really like that. And that's such a good point. It's kind of like, um, you know, in some of the guided meditations that I've listened to and they talk about um, imagining yourself sitting beside the river and as your thoughts come up, you just watch them float on by and, right. you know, don't yeah. don't attach anything to it. Yes, and that, on the Headspace app, he says, imagine your thoughts are the, the, uh, uh, the traffic in the road and you're sitting beside the road watching the traffic going by, but you're not sitting in the road. Ah, yes. Yeah, it's, it's very much the same thing. Yeah, yeah, that's such a great way of looking at it because – yeah, you, uh, that is something that um, I see often as people that that are aware, like you say, but but attach that story to it, so it doesn't help them any any better than the person who isn't aware of anything at all. Well, it, it, 
I actually think it might be slightly worse because uh, it's something I've been talking about quite a bit lately. So Jane Pike, uh, as you know, you know Jane from New Zealand, yes. um, was our mantle coach for World Equestrian Games last year and she, she came over for the World Equestrian Games and then she did a cultivating confidence clinic at her house here the week after. And during that cultivating confidence clinic, she talked about the big blue tree story. And I just love her big blue tree story, but she says you cannot move away from something. You can only move towards something. And when she said that, I went a bit cross-eyed, and I think so, but everybody else in the room did too. <laughs> what she means when she says that is she says you can't think about what you don't want. You can only think about – or you can't not think about something. You can only think about something. And she says, right now, I want you to not picture a big blue tree. Mm-hmm. And while you are not picturing a big blue tree, I want you to not picture some green grass at the bottom of that big blue tree. And then while you're not picturing the green grass and not picturing the big blue tree, why don't you not picture a yellow bird at the top of that big blue tree? And what's the mental picture we all have right now? <laughs> a tree a with a bird. Tree, a blue tree <laughs> and a big blue bird at the top of it. That would be trying to move away from something. Um, right now, if you were to think about holding an apple in your hand, okay? Feel how heavy the apple is, how light the apple is. Feel is it smooth? Can you smell it? Right now, the big blue tree's gone away. So instead of trying to not think about a big blue tree, we thought about something else. We replaced it with something else. Yeah. And so uh, when, when she talks about – so she talks, talks about that, and I think that's really something you need to be aware of because – Something else I've become aware of, and I talked about it slightly earlier, is I think that horses can actually read your mind. I've actually met people and heard of people and read about people, and a lot of them are around Ray Hunt and Tom Dorrance, but not necessarily, um, that can mentally picture what they want their horse to do, and the horse will do it. And I talk about this at clinics. So I talk about the big blue tree story, and then I talk about mentally picturing what you want your horse to do and have your horse do it. And I said, but you've got to have like a mind like a Buddhist monk to do that. Is, any, is anybody here, can anybody do that? Their mind is so good that they can mentally picture what they want the horse to do and the horse will do it. And everybody kind of shakes their head and goes, no, no, we're not, we're not actually, no, I can't do that. And then I say, have any of you ever been trail riding and you look up or hacking out in New Zealand, as you, trekking, sorry, as you like to call it, <laughs> New Zealand, um, never been trail riding and you look up and on the trail up ahead of you, there's a plastic, the wind's blowing, there's a plastic bag that's got stuck in a bush and it's flapping and you've got to ride past it. And right then you thought, oh, my God, what if he spooks and he's one's off to the left and I fall off to the right? And then is a helicopter going to come here? Would the ambulance come here? Is my phone work? Do I have service on the phone? Can I call somebody? And right about then, everybody starts nodding. Everybody's had that experience. And then I tell them, a minute ago, you told me that you cannot mentally picture what you want your horse to do. But now you told me that you're very good at mentally picturing what you don't want your horse to do. And that's what Jane's talking about with that big blue tree thing is trying to picture what you don't want to happen is picturing what you want to happen, really. Yes. And so you've got, you know, a lot of people, they think they're not mentally strong enough to be able to picture what they want their horse to do, but then they realise that they may spend a lot of time actually picturing what they don't want their horse to do, which to the horse is the same thing. Yeah, yeah, so so they're kind of creating their reality. Well, I'm a big believer in you create your own reality, and um, that's just another version of it. I remember years ago I had a, a client, she had this horse, 
he rode around, his name was Buddy, and he rode around fine for me, but with her, he would spook at random, well, not random things, but he'd spook at things that he didn't spook at when I rode him. And at the time, I couldn't figure it out. And now I realise that she was a Brit, her name was Francesca. She talked like the Queen. Mm-hmm. And um, I realise now that whatever he was spooking at was Francesca was making that mental picture in her mind that he was going to spook at it because he didn't spook at that stuff for me. And at the time, I really couldn't figure it out. But now it all makes sense. Yeah, that it's that's so interesting, isn't it? I had a similar experience with uh, I was selling a horse and he was just such a such a cool horse. Like he's he, he's the horse that you'd put the kids on and um, and you'd know that nothing would ever go wrong. And I had a lady come to try him. And she did just that, and there was a tree at the end of the paddock, and it had some wood under it that he'd ridden past a million times. And looking at it, it was her that created the situation because she panicked, and then he panicked, and then she panicked more. (laughs) And I said, just let it go, let go. And then all of a sudden they came back to, uh, to nice and relaxed again. Yes, it's pretty. I mean, that's it's been a, a bit of a game changer for me as far as helping people because I realised that the help you give them in the moment doesn't actually work yes. if they can't actually be mentally present when nothing is going on. You know what I mean? So that's why I've been suggesting people uh, meditate. And for years I've been talking about preparing horses for trial riding. You know, what do you do when you're out on the trail and something goes wrong? It's like, well, if you've done no preparation, you kind of, there is no right answer right there. Just don't die sort of thing. Um, but I think this is the same thing where if you can't be mentally present when you're not around a thousand pound or, you know, 500 kilo animal that might run over you, there's no way you're going to be able to be present with one on the bouncing around on the end of a lead rope. And the other day I heard a great quote. It's a quote that the Navy SEALs use. And the Navy SEALs say that you do not rise to the occasion, you fall to the level of your training. Mm. Yeah. And, and so it's all, you know, it's all about preparation for things and that's why I've been suggesting people take up some sort of a meditation mindfulness practice away from their horses because if you can't, if you have an anxious thought of a horse and you cannot, uh, you know, quieten your mind when you're not around your anxious horse, having a horse that may jump on you or something like that is not going to be the place to try to learn that, mm, yeah. learn that skill. So when you're doing your clinics now, uh, do you find that, like I know we talked about the uh, the lady with her counting the flex, and um, do you find that you're now focusing more on uh, bringing people's awareness to, I guess, the personal development side of things in the clinic, or um, or or hopefully maybe they've got that side sorted by the time they get to a clinic. <laughs> Um, well, I am luckily enough to where, you know, I, I have a, uh, a large online video subscription library and I'm lucky enough that I, I only have, I have subscriber only clinics. So for the most part, people are aware of, of how I feel about how important that is. And so they've yes. done, they may have done some of them, they may not, but at the start of my clinics now, I, I kind of am doing a big, big old 
talk about that. Um, just trying to make people aware of how much what they think, uh, affect, how much it affects their horses. And so, you know, during a clinic, I can, I can actually say, so what, what are you thinking about right now? Mm-hmm. And then you'll see a look come over their face and they, re- they actually start to think about what they're thinking about. They're aware of what they're thinking about and they realise, oh, I'm actually causing a lot of this stuff. Yes. But it's, it's uh, but, but I'm trying, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to suggest people need some some um, personal development. Right. Um, but I am saying if you want to help your horse, these are some things you will need to change. And, yes, basically I am suggesting <laughs> they do some personal development, but I'm not saying they need to do some personal development. They need to learn some skills to help them with their horse better. And, and I keep hearing back, and it's so gratifying, keep hearing back like in my Facebook group and stuff, people are saying, Oh my goodness! I um, since I started doing this stuff with my horse, I'm so much better with my boss, husband, wife, kids, dogs, cats, chickens, whatever. You know, it's just it's. I'm I'm a huge fan of the whole personal development thing because once you start working on that, everything changes. Not just your horses change. Yeah, that's so that's so true. It's interesting because the other night. Um, I had a situation with my daughter and she we had to sell her pony and it broke her heart uh, because they'd created a really a really cool partnership and um but she's outgrowing her and you know all of that sort of stuff and the a couple of days before the pony was about to leave she'd been having really undesirable behavior (laughs) and uh, I guess some of my own um, patterns of behavior first thought oh she's she's being naughty (laughs) and you know how how shall we punish this behavior (laughs) but then uh, the the horse training side uh, that I guess I've been practicing kicked in and instead of that said um, I understand you're hurting <laughs> and it was cool because I think because I, I've been practicing having empathy so much while working with the horses that then it transferred into my parenting as well and, and instead of being sent to her bedroom or had things taken off her, we could have a conversation and and talk about it and work through it rather than go to those old patterns of behaviour. <laughs> well, yeah, those those patterns of behaviour are hard because you don't even you don't even think about them, but something that the um, you know some of the personal development stuff I've been doing has really helped me is is looking at things differently. So one of the things I had suggested last, it was last year, I had suggested in the class I was taking was um, they suggested that one day you decide to count your judgmental thoughts, just to be aware of your judgmental thoughts. And I, and I, I said, well, how do, you, how do you keep track of it? And they said, oh, you know, have a little counter, like a clicker thing in your pocket or put some rocks in one pocket and move them over. And I thought, well, 
I'll do that. I'll put three rocks in my right-hand pocket because I'll only have three judgmental thoughts all day and then I'll transfer them slowly during the day over to my left pocket and I'll know how many judgmental thoughts I had. Mm. I had 21 before breakfast the first day. Whoa. And and (laughs) once you start being aware of your judgmental thoughts, you become very aware of how many of them you have. Yes. And then once you become aware of how many of them you have, then you become aware of how many of them you have about yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think things start to change then, especially if you can, especially if you say, like, I'm a big fan of Brene Brown, and Brene Brown says, you know, she talks about the difference between guilt and shame, and guilt is I did something stupid, shame is I am stupid. Mm. Um, Guilt's fixable. If I did something stupid, a next time I won't. If I am stupid, well, next time I'm still stupid. So, you know, if you can – and a lot of times I think we have judgmental thoughts about ourselves and we'll say, oh, you're so stupid or whatever. Um, And then the next time something happens, you have the same thing because you don't realise you actually said it to yourself in the first place because you're just so used to saying it. And I think when you become aware of your judgmental thoughts – so you're aware you're having this, like being present, you know. Like Eckhart Tolle says, when you are aware that you're not present, you are now present. Um, <laughs> I think when you become aware of those judgmental thoughts, especially the ones you have about yourself, then you can reframe them. And you be aware that you, you become aware that you just said, oh, I'm such an idiot, you know. And then you go, well, hang on, I'm not an idiot. But I just did something that was a bit, yeah, I'm going to try not to do that one again. And it just completely reframes um, reframes those thoughts you have in your head, and then what you and when you can do that with yourself, then I find it's really easy with the horses to reframe. And you know, these days with horses, I take every undesirable behaviour as information, and not as I, I no longer look at undesirable behaviours. Undesirable behaviours as something I feel the need to fix. Yes, undesirable. Behaviors come from the horse feeling a certain way, and I'm interested in finding out why they feel that way, and so I can change their feelings about that. And then the undesirable behavior goes away, but it's not so much I want to fix the behavior. I understand that there's something that's happening or has happened to them that's causing that. And nowadays, I'm kind of the same way with people. I think I used to be very judgmental about people who were, you know, let's say, I don't know, being incarcerated or got in trouble of some sort, you know what I mean? Mm. Uh, you know, I tend to used to be judgmental of, of those people. Now, or if someone's really rude to you or something like that, you know, nowadays I kind of think, oh, I kind of feel sorry for you having to go through life like that. It just, you know, it makes you, it makes you look at stuff differently and, and then it's very very so it's, when you practice that it's very very easy to look at the horses differently too mm, that's right yeah i guess it's having the empathy um goggles on <laughs> yeah yeah and you know the the path that i've gone down with the horses initially it was you know and so i'm doing a lot of different lots stuff a lot different than it a few years ago but what i was doing a few years ago was on the very empathetic scale of the whole thing anyway yes. um 
But I think initially that started out being on an empathetic scale because I had certain results I wanted and I realized that horses being anxiety and having, you know, baggage and stuff didn't help me get the results I wanted. And so that was a, a, the original reason for the empathetic training was for that. But it's got to the point these days I just don't like seeing any animal or human um, being anxious or, you know, being in a, in a bit of a state. I kind of have a bit more, yes, it's a lot more, it's a lot more empathetic, empathetic these days as in pure empathy, not, not wanting to change it because it's going to benefit me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's probably the best way to put it. Like with the horses these days, I mean, I wouldn't care whose horse it was. I wouldn't care if I was not going to ride the horse, have anything to do with the horse. If I see a horse that's having some worry, I would like to help them get over their worry for no reason other than I'd like them to not have the worry rather than if I can get rid of the worry, then I can get what I want out of the, the horse. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. Yep. And I guess that links through to uh, also the horse uh, knowing what your intentions are, how we were talking about the the lion and everything before. I, I guess when you're coming at it from that perspective, the horse feels that your intention is to have them feel better, not to have them feel better so that you can do X, Y, Z. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they can actually sense that stuff. And it's doing things like that. But like I said before, you know, uh, it seems like I'm a better trainer now. You know, it's easier to do things with the horses, but I, I'm not doing as much as I used to do. Yeah. So I, I think there's a there's there's something about what's inside of you that makes a huge difference. And I, I, I really think that's where the you know the personal growth stuff really makes a difference with the horses. And, and you know, if you would have you would have met people like this, but some of the really good horsemen you meet, like the vibe that those people have, they're just such a they're such a cool vibe. Have you ever met Jonathan Field when you were over here? I did. I met him at Road to the Horse, and he, he's just one of those people that you want to sit next to him and, like, yeah, just be around guy. him. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. He's the guy that you want to sit next to. I, I actually visited um, Jonathan in Canada a couple of years ago. Um, just to visit with him. We ended up playing with his horses and he showed me some cool stuff, but that was not why I went there. Yeah. I went there, kind of like you said, he's the kind of guy you just want to sit next to. Yeah, yeah. He has an energy about him that's that's very, very cool. That is really neat and and funny that we both felt that. (laughs) Oh, I, you know, I've asked Dan Dan Steers, um, I asked him about Jonathan one time and he said, oh, yeah, just the coolest guy I've met. You know, Dan's not really into woo-woo stuff, so he probably didn't say, like, he's the feel of him, but he just, you know, he's like, oh, yeah, he's just the, isn't he the coolest guy you ever met? Yeah. So, yeah, I think everybody feels it. That is so cool. Yeah, really neat. I think I felt the same um, when I was at the Joe Walter Clinic and, uh, I did it. It was a cult starting clinic, and one thing that he said to me at that clinic was um, because I I was probably at that time a little bit like 
you know, I, I knew the exercises that helped the horse pretty well and I could get some good yeah. results. And so I had this young horse there and he was pretty cool. And I was taking him through the exercises and Joe said to me, uh, you know, don't, don't just go through the, the, the movements and, um, and not be present basically, (laughs) because that was sort of what I was doing. I was just going through the exercises and, and not being in the moment. And, you know, that going through the right exercises gets you a long way. Yes. Um, and that's you know I was when I was doing and I was you know learning more stuff. It was I was more I was learning more exercises. You know, um, this other stuff is yeah just completely different. It's less exercises and it's more about just being present. You know. Mm-hmm. So what does it look like now? If, and I know that each horse is going to be different in each day and each moment, but. Do you kind of just go out there and just go with the flow with with whatever's happening, or um, like? Um, yeah, I mean, I used to always go with the, go with the flow. It's just a lot more. It's just a much subtler version of. It's just a much subtler version of going with the flow than it used to be. I mean, I've always okay. I'm going to go out. And this is what I'd like to do today. But if something pops up in the meantime, we'll go off and do that. That's fine. Yeah. So avoid. It's just I just when you notice smaller things, um, it just <laughs> makes it the the uh, the number of things you could do much more infinite. Mm, yeah. And do you find that while you're out there with the horses, you're you're still having to be quite aware at practicing, um, being um, being aware and and being mindful and. Um, and in the moment, or do you find that because you've been practicing it so much that it seems to happen a bit more naturally now? Um, well, to tell you the truth, I actually, you know, when you're like when you say you're learning to meditate or whatever, you are. It's just, it's just, it's just you. Um, what I found once I started being, you know, a bit more present everywhere. Mm-hmm. was I could be present until I got to the horse. Uh-huh. And then I was kind of, I would, you know, you talk about that old pattern, those old patterns you were talking about before. Yes. I would find that I could do it, and, and but when I got to the horse, then I lost it. And so I've had to practice it quite a bit with the horses. Yeah, and did you have any techniques or anything that you did to practice that and to make it uh, more of a habit? Um, well, just just give you. I would just give myself a, a list of things to do. What are his ears doing right now? What are his eyes doing right now? Mm. Now check it. His nose. You know, because if you look at his, it's just like when you learn to meditate. If you do the one thing for too long, like say you're supposed to focus on your breathing, if you just focus on your breathing after a while, you'll be thinking about your shopping and your grocery or whatever. But if you're gonna say you're gonna focus on your breathing, and then you're gonna focus on your sensations, like your feet on the floor and your bum on the chair and those sorts of things. You go through that, and then you go. Now I'm gonna think about sounds I can hear, can I hear any birds, that sort of thing. If you kind of rotate around, I think you don't get as distracted as easy. Um, so what I would do is I would just, you know, I would basically give myself a lesson. Yeah. Now, look at his eyes. What do you think of those eyes? Do you think that little wrinkle up there, do you think, is that a worried wrinkle? Is that a, just a relaxed wrinkle? You know, are his eyes round? Are they almond-shaped? Look at his nostrils right now. What are they doing? Mm. You know, that sort of 
thing just to to uh, you know it's just like a mindfulness practice you know looking looking at things like that yeah and then I guess people can take that through because sometimes I notice that um, people get quite good at being in the moment with their horse when they're on the ground or when they're not asking anything of them but then it can be a bit trickier when we take that through into actually riding and, and the doing side of things yeah I mean yeah some people have uh, you know that, that might have like anxiety about riding and stuff uh, as they're getting you know as they're getting on the reason they're anxious is because they're getting on with the thing. I'm going to hop on, I'm going to walk around, I'm going to trot around. I'm all right at the walk and the trot, but when I get to the canter, there's that part in the corner and he's probably going to spook. Whereas they might need to get on the horse and sit on it for an hour until they relax and then get up and put away. That would be a great day. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think a lot of times anxiety under saddle and stuff like that is, is, um, you know, it's, it's, it's not being present, it's projecting future events, you know. Mm, yeah, that just reminded me of um, I had a horse come to me and he, uh, very, very talented, um, but just very, very anxious and to the point where he would colic if he was changed paddocks and colic. Oh, really? Yeah, and colic when his dinner came and very angry and um we got to the point eventually I I just did in the beginning lots of standing with him and breathing and I would even um this is another cool story actually I'll just go off on a bit of a tangent I'd been practicing um doing breath work with him and I would put my hand on his tummy and just breathe with him and it was amazing, like all he had so like these massive releases, and then you'd see the like the main arteries, you could see them like pumping with blood, and yep. of course like big yawning and and all the veins would come out in his face and so we went through this process and uh then about and, and he stopped having the colicking and um and I could take him off all of the gut supplements that he came with and uh Probably about six or seven months later, I, I moved him to a new property. And when he got there, he was good uh, for a couple of days. And then he uh, had a, a bit, bit of a colic session. And so I went out into the paddock and he came flying over to me and stepped his hip over to me and lined himself up with his stomach near me and so he's 17.3 so he's a big horse and I was kind of like oh gosh what is going to happen here but anyway so I put my hand out and I put it on his tummy and we did our breathing that we'd been practicing and he stood there and you could see like he was agitated but he he, he wanted that to be there and then probably after I don't know, maybe three or so minutes, he walked off and lay down and just lay down flat and uh, stayed there. And he kind of like groaned a bit while he was down there, but real deep breathing. And he would have stayed there for a good, oh, I don't know, three to five minutes. And then he gets up and just walks away and goes back to grazing. And he hasn't colicked since then. 
Really? Yes, it was a cool moment. <laughs> you know, that's exactly what I'm talking about. It's just these days, it's just so much. I'm doing a whole lot less and getting more done, and even even things like that. But just just being around horses with no expectation of asking them to do anything. I think you know they get so used to us. We you know they get so used to us. We walk up, we grab them, and we do something with them. Instead of we're never around them without having an agenda. And I think yeah. this as you would know by now, mm. just being around them and just being present and focusing on your breathing um, does some amazing things. Yeah, it's just been so cool. And then I guess where I was, the first part of the story I was going to tell because I, I thought about it because of the people that are uh, thinking ahead to the future and this might happen and this might happen. And I think then when we're like that, the horses become like that, don't they? And he was the same. Um, the first time I hopped on him, he thought that as soon as my bum hit the saddle, he had to walk off and then canter. And then it was time to go and get jumping. <laughs> and, uh, so I sort of recognized that and I said, let's just sit at the mounting block. And so we just sit there and again did the breathing and and again he had all of these big releases and yawned and let go and and then I just hopped off again and that was the end of it. But but just like the person just hopping on and just sitting there and, and not probably expecting anything more of ourselves or the horse. Yeah and I yeah, that's and that's you know, like we said, it's. I think it's one of the the biggest the biggest things. There's actually a um, there's actually something I saw on the internet the other day, and it was a it was a meme, and it was about uh, teaching children. Uh-huh. And it was about I can't remember exactly what the three things were, but the the first thing was getting them to relax. Mm. first thing was about relaxation the second thing was about building connection with them and then the third thing was about then you can start to teach them something yeah and I took a screenshot of it because I was like that's 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 where I'm going with the horse training I used to start out with the teaching things um and it's really going to to where oh, I've almost got it here somewhere <laughs> I can't find it um it's really going for me. It's going to the the whole, you know, first get them to relax. So many horses are, you know, in, like I talked about before, are in varying degrees of being shut down. Um, and so, you know, for me, I want to get rid of that first. And then while you're doing that, you're probably building some connection, but then to do some more connection building stuff. And then by the time you get to the actual training, they're quite easy to train. I, I'm actually starting to think that a lot of the, training I used to do or used to have to do was actually stuff that I'd caused to happen, not knowing I was causing it to happen, and then I've got to undo it. Mm. I really think there was a lot of what I did that was undoing of what I'd done without even knowing I was the cause of those things. Yeah, that's so interesting, isn't it? But but not and not realizing it perhaps until they were bigger and then and then you say, Oh, <laughs> I've got to undo this. Yeah, not not knowing what the actual cause of it is in the first place, um, I yeah. think is a, is a big part of it. 
Yeah. It's just so, you know, and not be not noticing those real subtle signs of, you know, their threshold, you know, their threshold for worry being crossed. You know, it's, it's just amazing. Um, yeah, it's just just amazing how much you don't have to do later. I used to I used to think, how do those people do anything with horse? They don't have a they don't have a process. They just can't do stuff. And now I know, I'm pretty sure that's a huge part of it. Yeah, that's so cool. That's that's such a great point. Mm, so much to think about. <laughs> yeah, it's it's so cool. It's so cool when you really start getting your uh, your head around it because it all makes sense. And yeah, I've, I've just just something I've been doing recently a lot of uh, at clinics is matching steps with horses. Yeah. Horses that are kind of worried. Like let them go for a walk and just match steps with them. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a there was a Mustang at a, a clinic in um, Missouri, and um, this girl's got him in one of those Mustang challenge things, and so she's put a fair bit of training into him already, or into her to man. But she just kind of she's not mentally there. Mm. You know what I mean? Like you, you can send her off around you in a circle, but her, her eyes are to the outside, her nose is to the outside, and she's thinking elsewhere. Yeah. Um, and so we spent at the clinic, two-day clinic, the first day, once I figured out what would be the best course of action for her, I I showed her, I did following steps, you know, I matched steps for a while, and then I had her do it. And then the next day when she came out, she did it again. And after probably half an hour or so of matching steps, that, that Philly just lay down and went to sleep. And she never lays, she never feels comfortable enough around people to lay down. She lay down in the middle of the clinic and went to sleep. Wow. Um, it was a bit of an emotional moment there for everybody. Uh, and then the next weekend I was in Michigan and we'd worked – there was quite a distracted horse. He was he was very attracted back to the barn that he came out of and not at all interested in the people, interested in people at all. Mm. Um, if, it been, if there was no people there, he'd have been running back to the barn. And if there was no barn to run back to but there was a person there, he'd have been wanting to look away from them anyway. So it was kind of both things were happening at the same time. Yes. Anyway, this arena only had a fence about a little higher than knee high, kind of like thigh high around it, and he got loose and he ran off. Mm. And I was thinking about the arena, but I told the girl, just match steps with him. Just wherever he's going, you go there too. You're not trying to catch him. Just don't angle towards him. Just go parallel to him and just match his steps. She did that for about five minutes, and he walked up to it. One of the times when he turned and started heading in her direction, so she turned, so she's going the same direction to match steps. He just kind of get closer and closer and fell in behind her. So just stopped there, and she stopped there, and he stopped there right beside her. So it's it's been a bit of a game changer. I've only just been messing with it, but uh, you know, it's like you know, you do clinics too. You get mm. to in one weekend, you get to mess with twelve different horses, all different personalities, and a lot of times they you know they've got some issues, and so you really get to. I'm you know, I'm, I think I'm kind of lucky to get to experiment with some of that stuff at, at clinics, but I've over the last month six weeks, two months maybe, mm. horse expos and at clinics, that match and steps to them, that's a bit of a game changer. It's it's amazing the connection you can build doing that. Yeah, that is really cool, huh? You know, and, the, and the thing is, I'm not sure, is it the matching steps that builds the connection or the fact that in order to match a horse's steps, your mind has to be right there? Yeah, you're present in it, isn't it? Yeah, well, it, I don't know if I'd have to find somebody who is really, really present. Yes, already. 
was really, really present already, or maybe I could have someone who wasn't present, but do you know what, do you know in music what playing behind the beat means? No. It's when instead of the, everything going on the beat, it's just behind, and I think it's the drummer or the guitar player, someone who's right behind the beat. So it's right. slightly off. Yeah. Um, if you look it up, it'll tell you some famous songs, and you go, oh, that's what it is about that song. Like there's a, there's a Fleetwood Mac song. I'm not sure if it's Tusk. It might be Tusk. They start that with those drums at the start, and it's kind of – I think that's one of them. I think that's probably the most famous one okay. is Fleetwood Mac, Tusk. It's – it's played behind the beat, so it's not dunk, 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 dunk. It's it's this. It's slightly off. Yes. Anyway, what the say was, if you could get slightly off with a horse, like match steps, but match them off. Mm. So it's the ground when there's in the air or something or other, and on the other foot. And I wonder if you'd get the same result. Yeah. Because you'd have to. You'd have to be at least as present. You would, wouldn't you? Yeah, that would be oh, really yeah. interesting to. So I don't know if it's actual matching of steps or if it's the fact that you would, in order to match their steps, you have to be very, very present. Yeah, maybe that can be something that you can do at the next clinic. <laughs> I think that'll be something I'll mess with it, mess with at home because if it doesn't work, I want to be able to experiment. When I'm at a clinic, I want to do something that's going to help somebody that's with right. their horse. Yeah, no, it's going to work or not. Yeah, that's interesting. It, um, I had a funny experience with um, Tama, my little Kaimanawa, and mm-hmm. I, I was out there um, catching him one day, and he's he's not a big fan of being caught <laughs> in general. He, he'd rather be wild. And um, so I was out there and just going slowly with him, and uh, – I there were sand flies in in the paddock and they were really going for my leg and so every now and again I would stop and reach down and and um get the sand flies away and I looked over at him and he each time I would uh bend down and and itch my leg he would do the same to his leg and then it was that process that kind of led to being able to get up to him and then and then eventually catch him but I wonder if that's the same sort of thing it could be yeah Yeah, some of the stuff I'm looking into now it's not it's not kind of mainstream stuff um but it's not that it's not out there. I mean, there's people, there's some of this new stuff that I'm messing with, there's been people doing this stuff for a long, long time. It's just not mainstream stuff. It's not stuff you see your average horse trainer doing. Yeah. Um, but it's been out there. You know, like I said, it's not that I'm not inventing the, reinventing the wheel or anything. It's not, uh, most of this stuff is, is not stuff that I'm coming up with. Some of it I, I – I, I kind of discovered some stuff and like, hey, I discovered some stuff. I wonder if I'm the first person who's ever done that. And then you look around the internet and you find that other people have been doing it for a long time. But I, it wasn't that I saw it somewhere. I just kind of figured it out. Yeah. And you're like, well, I'm pretty slow. Other people have been figuring this out a lot longer than I have. <laughs> yeah, I wonder too if there's – um, you know, like we were talking about before, those people that are really, like, really good. And I wonder sometimes if they do those things without even realising that they're doing them. 
Yeah, I um, yeah, I mean, I don't know, but I really, you know, like you said about John Field and his vibe. I mean, he's, a, he's, you know, I think, I think people can feel you when you are just mentally right there, you know. Yeah, yeah, it's all such good stuff. So, um. I might just ask you if you've got some more time. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. I had a few questions on our training group um, come through, and I think that um, one of them was what was the catalyst for changing your training style to a more listening, feeling-based. But I think we kind of have covered that through our chats yeah, anyway. Yeah, was it? Sherlock was the catalyst for that, and what's interesting is Sherlock. Sherlock was the catalyst for that with horses, but he was also the catalyst for that with people. Ah. You know, I I, I said it before. I I hear people say all the time, "Oh, it's the best part of doing this stuff. I'm getting along so much better with my wife, husband, father, yes, boss, kids, whatever." Uh, It was the same for me. I mean, I had, you know, I realized the longest time I wasn't present with. With people, I was talking at people, mm-hmm. not to um, everybody. And so, yeah, so he was, yeah, not only the catalyst for for the horse stuff. He was, he was actually the catalyst. Uh, realizing that I wasn't listening to horses, I was telling horses. Made me realize I wasn't listening to people. I was telling people too. So, he was quite the catalyst. Ah, that's so cool. Isn't it neat, hey, when we get those horses that <laughs> that teach us uh, some big lessons? Yep, yep, the, uh, the, the horses that change your life, and he's, he's definitely one of them. Yeah, cool. So uh, another one. Oh, golly, what have I done? Um, okay, so this was from Melissa. How do you handle situations where you're training for a client where their expectations far exceed the time frame allowed and the horse which arrived, or vice versa, when you're doing a clinic and a rider wants to work on something more advanced but all their basics are missing, anything particular you keep in mind or have you got away, you approach this? Uh, great question. I so when I so I don't train outside horses anymore, so I don't really have clients in that sense. But I used to be pretty upfront with them, and you know I would tell them, you know, I, I can't put the I can't put the fourth week of training, I can't put the fourth month of training on them. I can put the fourth month of training on them after four months, but I can't put it on after one. I can't put it on in one month, sort of thing. Yeah. Um, I used to, and when I was in Australia, if someone wanted to send me a horse. I made sure that they, when they bought the horse, they rode it for me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, rode it for me before I started started working on it because a lot of times when you point out, you know, they say he's really good except this one thing, and then you can kind of point out all the other things. And so instead of them thinking you you only need to work on one thing, they realise how much stuff you get to work on. And at, at clinics. Um, I just basically tell them how it is, really. I mean, yeah. I'm, kind of, I'm, I'm in a very fortunate position, I guess, I suppose, because I've, you know, become known on social media or whatever, but for some reason people seem to believe me these days more so than they used to. So, <laughs> I, um, you know, when I tell them something, I, I don't usually get the, 
whole, oh, no, but I want to work on this. You know, yeah. the, as you know, the, the basics are the basics are the big thing. The, the, the big things are um, the big things are easy if your basics are good, but if your basics aren't good, um, mm. you know, like yeah, if your basics aren't good, two, probably two things that I, I worked on with people at clinics recently uh, for these things was I had a little girl, I had a young girl, she's only eleven, I think, at this clinic, and a horse won't stop from the canter. She can't stop him from the canter. Uh-huh. Well, funnily enough, she couldn't stop from the trot very good and she couldn't stop from the walk very good. And I said, how's your back up? And she you didn't back up very good either. But it was only the canter she really had problems with because she couldn't – she could force him to come back, stop from the trot, but she couldn't force him to stop from the canter. Right. Um, and so all we did was worked on the back up the first day. And by the end of the second day, she could get him to stop from the canter just by basically closing her fingers on the reins and he'd just come back and stop. Um there's that one, and then just lately this year, I've had, which I don't normally have, I've had some people who were far enough along to be after the flying lead change. And when I had one look at what their flying lead change looked like, I, I said, "Okay, we're going to go back to pieces, and this is where this is where your problem is. It's way back at the very, very beginning. Show me, show me this manu- movement at the walk, and they show me like a, you know, maybe a half pass at the walk or something or other, or maybe a haunches in at the walk, and go, that's the problem right there." Mm, yeah so that kind of sounds like one thing I do sometimes is get people to do like I'll kind of purposely set it up and get them to do something that I know is too advanced for where they are actually at and then I say okay well this is why (laughs) it's not working and let's go back on work and work on all the pieces of the puzzle right (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's 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 hard with people because that no one no one is trying to do it wrong. Yeah, you know what I mean. No one is. is no one gets up in the morning, looks in the mirror, and goes, "I'm going to go outside and I'm going to mess my horse up so bad today. It's not fun." No one. It's no one plans to do that. Everybody's everybody's doing the best they can with the information they have, and until you get to the point where you understand that perfecting the basics makes the big things easy, it seems like it's a waste of time, mm. like getting the little thing right. Like it's it's right enough. It's the big thing I want to do. You know what I'm talking about? Um, and so it's, you know, it's it's just, you know, until until people wrap their head around that, it's, it's, it's kind of hard because they can only see life through the lens that they currently see it through, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's right. I guess sometimes as well, I wonder if there's like a, a, well, I guess that's what you're doing anyway, but small exercises that um, people could take, um, like say in her uh, situation, she could kind of work with the, with this person or, or people and show them, well, um, you know, th- this is why we have to spend our time in doing the little things so that the big thing comes together and I guess just being honest about it. Yeah, I mean, the big thing I like to do is I like to quote people who know what they're talking about. So, you know, <laughs> I tell a story a few years ago at Equidays, the, um, the jumping guy who was at Equidays was uh, John and Albert Vaughan and he was uh, he's an Olympic silver medalist from Holland. Yes. Very cool guy. But anyway, so he's a, a, a Olympic silver medal in the show jumping. And so I did a demo one day and he was in the arena just after me and it was going to be on jumping a metre fifty. 
and I had 45 minutes before I had to get to one of the other arenas to do another demo. So I basically got to watch the first 45 minutes of an hour and a half lesson on how to jump a meter 50. And I don't necessarily know how to, want to know how to jump a meter 50. I want to know how an Olympic silver medalist teaches someone to do the hardest thing you can do. Yeah. And so the 45 minutes, they didn't even go over a ground rail. Ah. In the first 45 minutes of how to jump a meter 50, they didn't go over a ground rail. Yeah. Um, and so I don't expect people to believe me, but I would expect them to believe a story I tell them about an Olympic silver medalist I saw once. Mm, yeah, that's a great story. I think I remember uh, watching that clinic as well. <laughs> Albert, Albert was amazing. Yeah, he's a very then, cool guy. So the, the, the jumping guy who's been at Ecuador's the last couple of years is Rob Ahrens, and he, Rob's from um, Holland as well. But he's the Dutch Olympic show jumping coach, and he's coached the last three Olympics, and he competed in three Olympics before that. So he's very, very experienced. And we were chatting there last year, and, and I said, and he does a lot of clinics around the place. And uh, I said, hey, Rob, you ever have somebody who can jump a certain height and wants to jump another, a higher height, and they're ready to, to go up? And he said, very, very rarely. Most people who are jumping at who, who can jump a certain height and want to, you know, that's where they're jumping at and they want to get higher. They can't go higher until they go back to the beginning because the the style they've got or whatever they've got in their training is limited and it, it can get you up to three foot three, but it can't get you to three foot six or whatever it is you're trying to go up to. You know, it can get you to one meter, but it won't get you to a meter ten. You've got to go back to a ground rail to go from a meter to a meter ten. Um, and so it was exactly that he told me exactly the same thing as, as Albert. Had and anybody really who's at the top of their game, it's it's the basics are the important things. Mm, yep, that's right. And I had the, a very similar conversation with I forget her name, an Australian lady, and of similar type of she's she's at the top of her game, and we had the same conversation, and she said that a lot she of a the jumper. horse. What was that? Sorry. Is she a jumper? Yes, a jumper. Um, no, I don't know who it would be. Yeah, I forget. I'll, I. I'll have to go back because it's on it's on Facebook somewhere and something I wrote and but she said the same and working with riders at that level and she said so many of the horses are jumping out of fear uh, that uh, she has to go back and get them doing the small stuff as well. Yeah, I mean everybody I've ever met who knows what they're doing, you know, is at the elite level sort of thing. They all, you know. That's that's really all I do is just perfect those basics, and it's it's hard when you are not aware uh, when you are not aware that that's important, you know. So you know, the question was, how do you help people who are who are struggling with things like that? How I do it is, I just I just quote someone who, who who's you know who's respected. Basically, I don't try to tell them this is what I think you should do. I will tell them, I watched this and so-and-so said this and so-and-so did that, you know. Yeah, stories are great. Yeah, that's good. Right, so our next one was, uh, what's the most, oh, wow, really, thing a horse has communicated or insinuated since you've been open to really watching and listening? Oh, ah, ah. 
Read me that question again, because while you were talking, it was it was triggering things. But yeah, if you can read it again, yeah, sure. that'd be great. What is the most oh wow really thing a horse has communicated or insinuated since you've been open to really watching and listening? So I, I oh, guess something that's okay, yeah. yeah. yeah um, well, it was probably an oh wow really for me thing was my horse Bundy. Bundy's always been great. Bundy's never been a problem. He's easy to do anything with. I mean, he's he's very he's a very smart horse, and so he's been easy to do anything with, with for a smart horse. I mean, a lot of people can get into trouble with him easily, I think, because he's very, very smart. But once I started listening to him, like doing groundwork, he would actually pin his ears and, like, lunge at me with his mouth wide open. Ah. And... I think it was I think it was a test. This is why I'm reading it. I think it was a test like really you 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 really changed well what if I do this? <laughs> and uh so what I didn't do was retaliate as he did it. What I also didn't do was step back when he did it. What I did do was create a great deal of energy. Like think of like a jumping jack. Yeah. It's energy it doesn't go forward and doesn't go backwards. And I just kind of go, yeah, right as he did it, and he jump back and go, oh, and he'd lick his lips, and then we're all good for a while, and then he then he would then he would do it again. And I think he was I you know, I I really think he was kind of going, you know, you you tell me all these stories about how you're different and yada, 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 yada. Are you really? I, I actually think it was a bit of a test. That's interesting. So because um, like that you were different from the way that you'd worked with him in the past? Oh, yeah, in the past it was all about obedient and I wasn't, especially in the last few years, I haven't been very present with him because I'm going a lot. I'll get home and go, I need to video something. Oh, okay, I'll get Bundy out and I'll set them up and I'll start talking to the camera. Yeah, you know, I'm just like a, a prop sort of thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's really interesting, isn't it? I, I so, sorry. I actually okay. had time with him for a while there mm. when I first started. I think so. It's a good question. Um, and we talked about that incongruence before. And I think before I was not incongruent on the inside. I was like, I expect to be obedient. On the outside, I expect to be obedient. Yeah. Um, and then when I started. One of those changed, and I don't think both of them had changed. So I, I was, you know, thinking, acting one way, thinking, you know, internally being another way. I think that's when he started doing that. Like, what are you going to do? Yeah, that's an interesting one. And it was something I wanted to talk to you about as well, because sometimes I see um, with people uh, – they that like one one person in particular that I've been working with, she bought a horse who was quite successful, I think, and but he was very, very obedient and um she doesn't work in, in that way at all. And so um he's kind of done something similar but but not not in the same way, but almost a challenge or or maybe that he's confused at what is going on so I guess that was um leading to me um talking to you about um do you find that they can get worse before they get better when when they do come across or when we do start working with them in a different way yeah you know 
I that's you know I think I, I've had it I've had it happen enough and had people say you know it happened enough to where I think you know that's what they start doing is start actually telling you how they feel. Yes. You know, if you tell them I'm listening, you've got to be you've got to be if you get to the point where you go, okay, I'm going to tell them uh, I'm listening. You've got to be prepared to whatever they, you know, it's, it's not I'm listening as long as you've only got nice things to say to me. It's <laughs> listening no matter what you've got to say. Yeah, which is a little bit like um, I've just been listening to Brene Brown's, or let me just get the name of the book. Um, come on, phone, load it up for me. Uh, or Dare to Lead. Um, and that was one of the things she talked about was listening and and um, being prepared to actually listen to what people have to say um, and not just wanting to hear the good parts and and to be able to sit in that and and be okay with it and say if you're delivering, I think one of the examples she gave was like if you're delivering some bad news or something like that, like letting them have their emotions and their feelings about it. Yes, Robin's mentioned that because Robin used to be in HR and when she had to terminate people, she kept a glass of water on her desk because you can't cry and drink at the same time. And so if they started to cry, she'd just shove a glass of water in their face and so they, they'd start drinking and then stop crying. Yes. And uh, it's fun. she's actually going to Texas uh, in a week to take Brene Brown's Data League course. <gasps> How cool is that? From Brene Brown herself. That um, is neat. So hopefully she'll be certified to, to teach that stuff. Um, pretty amazing stuff. But, yeah, so Robin was saying that, you know, I've, I used to shove water in their face and nowadays I'm thinking maybe I shouldn't have shoved water in their face. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess with the, the new learnings that we're discovering, it, I guess that's almost shutting shutting it down in a way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so then with um, working with these horses, when we're uh, having these changes and saying to them that, hey, yeah, I'm really, I'm, I'm listening to you now. We've got to be prepared to be able to hear what they have to say and 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 not judge it or try and shut it down or try and make it all better. Yeah, because see, I think the thing we I think we all tend to do is, you know, like when it gets it, when it gets worse before it gets better. When it gets worse, you think oh, I'm doing the wrong thing. This is not working. Mm. Whereas I think, as long as you are aware that when you start listening, things are going to change, and it might not change for the better to start with. You've got to be able to you've got to be able to sit with that. I like the term you used a minute ago, sit with. And you were talking about someone breaking down and crying. You got to sit with it, you know what I mean? Yeah. I think you've got to sit with I think you've got to sit with these new behaviors that might not necessarily be behaviors that that uh, you want, but you have to realize that you're going through those to get somewhere else. Mm. Which can be really uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, it can be uncomfortable because, you know, you've got to be present with it. So you can't be like, oh my God, but in six months time I was gonna to go to this horse show and I can't be bucking at the only you can't be bucking at the horse show because what will my friends think if I was even bucking at the horse show? It's like it's the horse show six months away. 
<laughs> don't even think about that yet. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let it go a little bit. That's cool. I've really enjoyed this chat. Oh, me too. I, 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 love, I love this stuff. I talk about it all day. <laughs> me too. <laughs> it's so much fun. Um, I'll just quickly scroll through see if there's anything. Is there anything that I've missed out that you wanted to talk about? Uh, no, we've talked about exactly what I want to talk about because that's all I talk about these days. <laughs> oh, I like that. Ooh, oh, I've got another one. Um, so... When we are, and I guess that goes through from what we just talked about with the, the show coming up, um, but how do how do you carry through this partnership and this listening um, through into competition world? And when we have got a um, some like a like I suppose with you guys last year with um, the World Equestrian Games coming up. Um, how do we balance on that line of um, of having things happen and the doing side of things as well as the being? Great question. Um, <laughs> A tricky one, probably. Um, great question. I um, I really think you've, I really think you've got to have that that relationship parts I think once that relationship part's sorted it's it's quite easy to stay good yeah you know what I mean? um, which means you know my horses are completely different with me now you know because when I walk out of the house and I, I'm outside I'm I'm mentally outside so I can see them so even from the house now and, and the paddock you know I'm aware or they're aware that I'm aware of them basically. Mm. So it's that, I mean, it's that so much further away than it used to, but, you know, my horse will be standing out in the paddock there with their ears kind of half back, you know, half asleep or whatever, and I walk out the door now and go, hey, boys, they, they kind of look up and your ears prick. Um, I think when you get that stuff sorted, the competition part of it's not a big deal. I think most of us have had the competition part going first before we tried to get the relationship part going. And yes. tried to do it in the middle of getting ready for competition stuff, you know what I mean? So instead of, like, taking time out, like, okay, we're not going to do any more tough stuff until this happens. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, Robin bought a new reigning horse last year, and he was really anxious. Like, not anxious as in riding around. He was great to ride around. Um, but, like, now that you, like, you've got to put the whole time, you get the whole time, and he's now just disassociating with that. Mm-hmm. And we've spent a lot of time working on that with him. And now I can, I'm like, I can go get him in. I, it used to take me oh, half an hour to do the saddle up with him because as soon as you went to reach under his belly to do the girth up, he'd reach his head around and he'd try to nip you a little bit. And what with him I figured out that nipping is his communication. And so I would stop and i put the girth down and stuff and rub him around his muzzle and rub him until he just just – Converse with him basically till he was done. Then I go to pick the birth, girth up again, and then his head would come around and have to do it again. Um, I just wrote him today, and I was just thinking how easy he's like, you know. Well, he was. T I tied him up, and I, as I walked past, I walked up to him and I took his muzzle in my hands, like, "Hey, go and give him a little kiss on the nose." Mm -hmm. And he was just there. He wasn't. Mm -hmm. all over the place. I mean, but it's been it's been six months. We've had him for six months now, um, and he's acting completely different. And we're I'm starting to put 
the um, the raining stuff back together with him. Like I haven't really been doing manoeuvre stuff. What I've been doing actually under saddle with him is a lot of dressage stuff. Um, most reining horses cannot do a shoulder in correctly. Huh. And I have found if you can do the shoulder in, it's the key to fixing everything. And so I've spent, spent a lot of time working on that with him. And I've just got, I've got it good enough to where now I can actually start start doing um, raining stuff with him. And if I run into trouble, I'll go back to that shoulder in and it fixes whatever trouble I was having. Yeah. So the trouble I was, it would not be him not wanting to do stuff. It would be him carrying his body in a certain way while doing stuff that I want to change. And now that I've got that shoulder in there, um, it's really, really helpful. But oh, excuse mm. me. But we've been, yeah, we've been. I've spent a long time doing that. Yeah, you know, when we we had him here for a week, and the only thing we did with him when we first got him, Robin would turn him loose in the round pen, and she'd sit on a bucket in the middle of the round pen. Ah, yep. And it took three days, I think, before he actually walked over and like sniffed her. Yeah, it was all about building the rapport. I was on the outside of the round pen filming. You know, if you're on the outside of the round pen, you're interesting. He'd come up and try to come, you know, put his nose through the fence and engage. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to ask him to do anything. But the person standing in the round pen, they're obviously going to ask him to do something. And so Robin just went in there and sat on a bucket. And I think, like I said, I think it took him three days to come over and say hi to him. Yes, so he was like completely shutting off from the person who – who could potentially yeah, be asking? Bad, assume something bad was going to happen. So, um, yeah. So the question is, I don't think it's I don't think it's hard to do, but you've got to take the time to develop the relationship and not do the hard stuff. Yeah, totally. That makes sense. It, it would just be like a human to human relationship. We couldn't. Um, go and do, I don't know, some big thing <laughs> with another person if we didn't already have a relationship in place. Yeah, well, but the other thing is you, what you're telling them is, hey, I'm different. Yeah. You can't tell them I'm different. I would expect all the hard stuff too. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So I think you've really got to get it, um, you know, I think you've really got to get it solid first before you try to worry about going back to the hard stuff mm-hmm. so your your advice would be like to somebody if they were still trying to compete but trying to build a partnership at at the same time would be kind of put the competition stuff to the side focus on building your relationship and then go back to um doing the hard stuff uh, once you have a really strong relationship yeah, and, and take that relationship with you into the doing the hard stuff. So be aware of all the little little things. But I, I think it's actually quicker to do it that way than it would be to try to build the relationship and keep doing the competitive stuff. I mean, yeah. depending on what your horse competes in, you know what I mean? If if it's hard work, I mean, if it's hard, you know, like it's like the raining, it's like the eventing, it's like the dressage. Um I would I would stay away from that sort of stuff because that's not really something horses enjoy doing. No, you know what I mean? yeah. Horse, well, they'd love to do that rather than anything else. Now, if it's something like um, maybe do like the extreme cowboy stuff, that you know, that's if we go back to anything with Sherlock, I'll probably do stuff like that with him because it's 
they've got to be present. They've got to be on the outside, not just obedient, but they've got to, you know, they're, it's like working a cow. They've got to read something. There's a reason to stop, turn, pick their feet up, climb on something, whatever, whereas the rest of them are basically abject lessons in obedience. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's right. It was interesting. I was um, listening to – we had Patrick King over here recently. and um, isn't, he, isn't he a force of nature? Yeah, he's he's another one that's real cool to be around. <laughs> yeah, very, very cool to be around. Yeah, and I, I think it was – might have been one of his podcasts that I was listening to, or maybe it was talking in person. I can't remember now. But um, he said that um, quite early on in a horse's training, even when he's starting them, he gets them going with the um, garrocha pole um, because it gives a, a point to to doing the work. Um, yeah. So I guess that's the same as what you're saying with the um, the extreme cowboy. Um, Discipline. I guess they're they're on the outside, and and there's a reason to it rather than just obedience. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think. Yeah. So if you if you had a if you had a um you know if you were doing an event that requires a lot of obedience, yeah, I'd probably try to get one. You know, the quickest way to do it would be to to give up the obedience stuff and just work on the other stuff. Um. But I think if you had a, if you did something to your horse that's almost enjoyable for a horse to do, um, I think you could do both at the same time. Yeah, mm, that's awesome. And if you don't have, you know, if you don't, you know, if it's, oh, I don't know, I'm just trying to think of, of 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 competitions you do that are no stress on a horse. Um, yeah, anything like that wouldn't be a big deal. Or I wonder even like something completely different to what that horse does. Say if it was a, I don't know, a show jumper that was totally fried on on show jumping. If you took it into a completely different uh, discipline, maybe maybe like that, doing um, doing a cowboy challenge or something, it, it would um, probably help um, yeah, I, in the partnership. Yeah, I think going completely somewhere else would be great for a horse like that. Yeah. But, but, you know, if they're that fried, you know, I wasn't really talking about a horse that's fried. I'm just talking about a horse that's maybe a <laughs> big But if they're that fried, I would just – I'd forget riding them. And I, I think a lot of the pride would go away with the connection on the ground. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. That was probably a poor choice of words on my behalf. Oh, no, I'm glad you said it because <laughs> – yeah. You know, to quantify that a bit more instead of just going any horse, you know, it was a really fried horse. I would a lot of the fried would go away on the ground. I wouldn't even worry about the riding thing. Yes. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, it would have to be just getting more connection, not because the horse is not working as it is. Mm. Yeah, connection first. Especially if they were dangerous, you know. I would just, you know, I would just go back to, go back to the very beginning. Yeah, yeah. That's great. Right. I think that we might head on over to our quick fire questions. Um, we've, we're, it's coming up like looking at my little timer here, an hour forty two. <laughs> oh, yeah. We. 
when I did his podcast, I think we talked for two hours, and then he said, okay, we're going to finish the podcast, but don't go away. And then I think we talked for another hour and a half after he <laughs> Yeah, it's really easy to do. <laughs> but maybe we can come back and have another chat another time. <laughs> yeah. So uh, one of my quickfire questions is, have you ever heard of the 80-20 rule? Uh, hit me with it. So it's kind of one that um, I learned in, in my like business studies and stuff. And so it's basically about the 20% of things that make the biggest difference. So oh, yeah, yeah. Then, I wasn't yeah. sure what you were in reference to. Yeah, so like, you know, people that take the 20% of the stuff that say businessmen, you know, the, the thing that makes you – the most of your mo- the most of your money, you probably spend twenty percent of your time doing. You do eighty percent of your time doing stuff that doesn't make you money. Is that yeah, what you're about? yeah, yeah. Same, yeah. yep, same thing. So the same with our horses. What, what are or, or life in general? What are your twenty percent of things that you focus on that make the biggest difference? <laughs> uh, with the horses. Yep. Uh, with the horses, well, we've covered. We've talked about this for an hour and a half. Yeah. In the present. I mean, yeah. that's the that's the. You know, it's just it's just so simple. But <laughs> just, you know, you you become a better horse person just by being present. Yes. I I, I think that's and that's not the the eight and twenty. You know, that's the ninety five five or whatever it is. But that that's the, that's the one thing right there. Everything. If that works, everything else works. Yeah, I think. I like that. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> okay, so your favorite book? My favorite book. I tell you what, um, one I've listened to recently twice. It's probably one of the best books, probably because it's the best book to me because it'll probably where I'm at. Um, it's called Stealing Fire. Ah. And it's written by a fellow. Did you ever read The Rise of Superman? No, I haven't. The Rise of Superman um, was a book about achieving the flow state. And they talk, they talk a lot about, um, like, X Games athletes, you know, can do stuff. That, like, Travis Pastrana can, you know, do three backflips on a motorbike, things like that that we couldn't used to do. Yeah. You know, back in the day, it wasn't possible to do. Um, Steve Kotler is his name, Stephen with a V. Kotler, K-O-T-L-E-R, and he wrote he wrote um, Rise of Superman. Anyway, he wrote this book called Stealing Fire, and the subtitle is How Silicon Valley, the Navy SEALs, and Maverick Scientists are Revolutionizing the Way We Live and Work. Mm-hmm. And it's the coolest book I've ever – I mean, it's a – you know, it tells a lot of stories about things, but he uh, I feel like I'm a dot joiner with what I do. Like, I don't need any other stuff. I can just – I can just join the dots. Well, this book is a dot joining book. It's like if you've ever read any of Malcolm Gladwell's books, mm. um, Outliers, anything like that. It's a lot like that. He draws all this information and joins all the dots together. But that there at the moment is possibly my favourite book I've ever read and I've only read it in the last two or three months. Cool. I'm going to have to check that one out. It's about being present and it's about – it's actually a, a little bit, quite a bit. It's about altered states of consciousness, and being present is one way you can actually achieve that. It talks about all sorts of different things. It talks about 
there's a lot of neuroscience in it and and um, and uh, brain hacking stuff in there. But they talk about there's a there's a thing you can actually buy and it applies a um, some sort of electrical pulse to the right side of your temple and it does something to your brain to where you kind of go into overdrive just by this electrical thing in your head. Now, I'm not planning on buying one. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, really interesting stuff like that. We're really, Rob and I are really into like biofeedback stuff these days. I've got a, I've got a, um, a brain sensing headband. It's called a Muse, S-U-N-M-U-S-E. Yeah. And you meditate, you have it on, it's on your, forward and uh, you have an app on your phone and it gives you feedback on where your brain is so i've got mine set to rainforest so if my mind is is busy i get the sound of heavy rain in my ears ah. if my is in a really quiet state i get really light rain right if my brain is in a very clear state like a meditative state i get birds chirping huh and so it, um, so it, you basically you can tell um, how your meditation practice is going. Instead of just wandering, yeah, you can, you can you can tell. Wow, that is cool. But that book is full of things like that. But it's it's basically the science. What I'm really into these days is the science of energy. Like these days, they can they can. Um, you know, quantify stuff that used to be woo-woo. Now it's actually scientific. It's like a fact sort of thing, you know what I mean? Um, there's a book I read recently, and it has an experiment in it that will blow your mind. But what they did was they they invented a random random direction generator. You know what one of those vacu- robot vacuums looks like? I have no idea. <laughs> the round robot vacuum, and you've seen videos of a cat riding around the kitchen. Oh, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, one of those robot vacuums. So they'll like, go along and they hit a surface and they'll do a, like a 45-degree turn or something, they go off somewhere else. This thing does that without hitting surfaces. So it just it randomly changes directions whenever, mm-hmm. just it's completely at random. Mm-hmm. And so they put it in a, an area, like let's say it's half the size of, your bedroom sort of thing. Yeah. They put it in there and then they mapped where it went and they took a basically an overall average of where it went. So all the places it covered. You with me? Yeah. Okay. Then what they did was they got some baby chickens and imprinted them onto it. So you know you can, you can imprint a chicken onto an inanimate object if it's the first thing they see when they're born. Yeah, yeah. So they imprint these chickens onto this thing, so the chickens follow it around wherever it goes. Huh. That doesn't change its its random pattern. Its random pattern is still pretty uniform over the whole area. Mm. So prepare to have your mind blown. Then they take all the chickens out of that it's a, so it's a, like a pen they're in, like it's in a little cage thing. Then they take the chickens out of there and they put them in another cage beside it. Yeah. Okay? So they can't get to it. But all the little chickens are basically going, Mommy, Mommy, come over here, come over here. That when you leave that thing run, it only uses half the cage. It uses the side of the cage that the chickens are on. So chickens' thoughts can actually change the direction of a random generated robot. A random direction generated robot. What? How does that even work? Yes, it's crazy. It's crazy. (laughs) 
Wow. But, you know, it's, I'm really into the whole energy of your thoughts these days, and I think that's, that's, that's a game changer for everything, but it's actually a game changer with the horse training. Yeah. Um, uh, but, yeah, that, that chickens wanting that thing to come closer to them change where the random generator went to. Because it's about energy. It's about energy, exactly, yes. Mm. It's all about sorts of that sort of stuff too. So that's that's one of my favourite. Well, there's that one and um, the actual the book that that random generator thing, yeah. the chickens came from, is a book called Becoming Supernatural by a fellow named Dr. Joe Dispenza. Oh, yes, he's cool. I, I've just um, started listening to a bit of well, some of his talks uh, this yeah. year and, yeah, he's pretty amazing, huh? He's very amazing. Actually, I've got to do some clinics in England in August, and the last day I'm in England, well, I get done with a clinic in Scotland on Sunday night, and Tyler and I are going to take the overnight train from Scotland down to London. I'm going to a one-day thing of his in uh, Dr. Joe Spencer in London in late August, I think. That'll be really neat. That'll be so interesting. I'm sure you'll um, post some updates on on what you what you take away from those. <laughs> yeah, you know, I may, I may not, just because right. it's pretty out there. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. I know, I know a book's pretty out there, but it's basically it's the it's the science of how you can. You know, you can your short your thoughts can change your reality. Your your thoughts, um, what you're doing can change. You know, your thoughts can change your reality. Basically, your thoughts control everything. So, um, getting you, I think get I think that's one of those eighty twenty things. Once you get your head around that, so that's even above the presence thing. You know, that's the next one up. Um, yeah. but both of those things right there have completely changed how I work with horses, and I don't mean just on what I do, but it's just so easy to do mm. things these days, especially if you put an intention into as, a, as your first ask, like your first aid is an intention. Um, like Mark Rashid talks about his energy, you know, you use his energy a lot. Yep. Um, that stuff's starting to really make sense to me these days. Yeah, setting your intention. It's interesting because um, – when I've been teaching, and I, I've done it for years, but without probably really realizing the depth of what I was saying, but I would always say to people, like, going through, um, you know, let's say if they were doing something practical, like sending the horse out onto the circle or something, and I would say, uh, intent, like, your, your first thing is intention and energy, and then, you know, the following steps from that, but um, I just, it's such an important part of it. Yeah, I, but see, I think you've always had that bit. Mm. You know, when you stayed with us, I, you know, I think you were looking for process. I think you already had the the, you know, the all that intention stuff, all that intuition, you might yeah. say. You, you, you had all that stuff and you just needed to fill in some gaps with maybe with the, the uh, process end. You know, with the, with the process type thing, whereas I had lots of process and had none of that whatsoever. So, yeah, right. So it's been, you know, it's been quite interesting. It is interesting. Um, and I, I think um, one of the things I'm probably quite grateful for is that uh, 
um, growing up, we we had some lessons, but not a lot really. And I think a lot of I don't know what it's like over there, but like lots of the Kiwi way is you kind of just get given a pony and you go <laughs> and you go and ride. So you kind of just have to figure it out and and have that intuition about how to how to figure things out. Yeah, no, and that's the way we were as kids. But then when I came out here and started learning how to train horses, I kind of just got into it was all about the technique sort of thing. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. It's actually probably quite good because I I really got the whole nuts and bolts of that. Mm. Um, But kind of got away from or completely away from the whole intuition side of it so now I've just got to, and I think that's the holy grail when you can take both of those things I think a lot of people have a lot of one and not much the other or a lot of the other one not much the other one yeah um but I don't think a lot of people have a lot of the both of them and I really think when people can start to get to where they have a great deal of both of them then you then you really can get some stuff done I think yeah that's a that's a cool place to be so, <laughs> these were meant to be quick fire questions, but um, <laughs> you do realize who you're talking to, don't you? Heather? Yeah, I should know that by now. <laughs> okay, um, what's one of the most uh, something a product that you've bought in the last year for under a hundred dollars that was most useful? Under a hundred dollars, it's most useful. Um, I would have to say those hands-on gloves. Mmm, that cool. those grooming gloves. Oh, those horses just love them. It's like you know, it's they see you coming and they almost like start just rolling their eyes back in the head, like oh my goodness, I'm going to get a scrubbing with that. Thing. <laughs> so, yeah, they're they're amazing. That's a great question, though. But yeah, <laughs> amazing. Where? What are they? Where do you get them from? Uh, we actually carry them on our website now, but they're, oh, cool. they're called hands and gloves, and so they're a, they're like a like a lightweight glove you slip on your hand, but the the fingers and the palm have these little grooming nubs on them, oh. and um, so you can like really give your horse a massage with them. You can groom them, um, so it really pulls the hair out really easy. It's really good for massaging them, but they love it, and so it, it just kind of becomes. You know, like I said with Sherlock, you know, instead of going out there and giving him treats, I'd walk out in the pasture, walk up to him and find his itchy spot and just scrub him with that, that grooming glove. And I've been using it at clinics quite a bit, like with horses that have a, a um, you know, dislike of people or distrust of people or a slight dislike of people. Mm-hmm. I'll use that just to – I had a horse at a clinic in Arizona earlier in the year, and this horse pinned its ears if anybody walks towards it, even the owner. Huh. So it could be all the groundwork, but if you join the end of the lead rope, you find as soon as you start walking towards it, we'll just pin its ears. Everything it did would have its ears pinned the, oh, the whole time. And so I walked up there with this grooming glove, which pinned her ears, and I just ignored the ear pinning, but started grooming her this glove, trying to find a spot to where she liked it. And I found a spot where she liked it, and then her ears kind of got a bit floppier. They kind of went forward. And so I just turned and walked away. And I walked back to her. She pinned her ears and I did it again. And I just rubbed on it until her her thoughts changed. Instead mm-hmm. of being, oh, God, you know, instead of grumpy thoughts, they were kind of pleasant thoughts. And by the end of the clinic, you could walk up to her and she didn't pin her ears. And what else was so interesting 
was she, the lady said that she pins her ears at other horses too. And at the start of the clinic, if another horse rode by her, we were just on the ground, but if another horse rode by her, and it didn't have to be very close, it might be you know, 10 metres away, um, mm. she'd pin her ears. And at the end of the clinic, a horse could ride by her, right by her, and she'd pin her ears. Ah, that yeah. Was, it was kind of crazy stuff. That's neat. So that's that counter-conditioning. You can do it with anything with your fingertips, but it's just easier with the with the glove yeah cool i'll have to check that out they sound neat oh okay so well the next question is where can people find you online but i guess if they just type warwick schiller into <laughs> just about anything you're gonna pop up <laughs> I'm possibly pop up there. <laughs> what was that sorry I said, I'll possibly pop up there if they do a search. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so our podcast is called Working from the Inside Out. What does that mean to you? I say we've covered a lot of that already, but <laughs> in the short we've covered that. <laughs> you know, I've always been quite aware of what was going on the inside of on the in, on the inside of a horse. Mm. Um, and then what I had to do was be more aware of the inside of me. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And now that I'm more aware of the inside of me, I'm much more aware of what's going on inside a horse. So, you know, I think what's going on inside of a horse um, in the past, I'd probably have a different, I'd probably have a different version of it now. But um, yeah, I, I, I don't know how would I say that. Um, it, well, it, yeah, it's it's just different than what used to be. But, I'm, yeah, I'm very aware that that's what you're working with is the inside. Yeah. I guess as um, your awareness grows, um, that in, that seeing the inside becomes deeper and deeper. Yeah. Um, there's a, um, a lady from America. I think she's done some clinics in, in um, I know she's done in Australia. I'm not sure she's done in New Zealand, but. Her name's Kerry Lake, and she's basically, uh, to put it in layman's terms, I think she is an animal communicator that teaches you how to communicate with your animals, uh-huh. basically. Okay? And the first thing she starts doing is teaching you how to feel the insides of you, you know what I mean? If you can't feel you, then you can't feel other things. And so I think it's when you start when you start working on the, the insides of you. And, like, you know, like in basic meditations, they – most, a lot of your basic meditation is just a br- like your breathing and then your sensations and stuff. But some of them, you go a bit further and they start, when you start doing body scans, you're not just body scanning the skin on the outside, you're body scanning your sensations inside, your emotions. And so you're becoming more aware of uh, that sort of thing. And I think that's a big part of intuition when you can really start to get good with that stuff. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, she's a, I'll have to check her out as well. I haven't. Um... Yeah, Carrie with an I. Carrie Lake. Okay. Robin, we've got a book of hers, and Robin's been reading it every night. And I say, How's your book going? She's like, Oh, this stuff's amazing. <laughs> oh, that's neat. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for um, giving up your time to have a chat with me. And I want to thank you again for letting me come and uh, spend time with you back then, but also for just putting out, I guess, 
being vulnerable in um, putting yourself out there in the world. And so we can all learn from your experiences. And I know there's lots and lots of people and horses all over the world that appreciate that. So thank you very much. Well, yeah, thank you. I'm I'm quite humbled the fact that I can actually do this. And, and the thing I'm excited about now, I think, is just because I'm just learning this all this present stuff as I go along, but it's it makes such a huge difference that I, I really see my in my future what I you know my whole goal is to try to just through the horses introduce people to. Um, you know, some more of that self-awareness and, and a bit of that, you know, that inner work, they call it, uh, because it will completely change your life. Yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. And I think that is, that's a side of, of what we do that isn't uh, talked about enough. So it is fantastic that um, that you're doing that and that there's a movement towards towards that right. for, for the betterment of everyone. <laughs> There's a big movement towards it, and what's funny is you learn, like in one of Brene Brown's books, she talks about how, you know, you think that if you share some of your little vulnerabilities that, uh, you know, you, you'll be laughed at. People will go, oh, you know, but what you actually find out is you get that me too. Yes. And what I've found with, because at clinics I talk a lot about my personal journey, not just the horse stuff, but the, with all the stuff that's gone along with it. Mm. And at no point in time have I ever had anybody go <laughs> and kind of snigger. Everybody's heads are nodding up and you're like, yeah, me too. Yeah, I felt that too. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, um, it's not actually that that hard to do, I think, when you're around the right people. Yeah, yeah, once you do it and, and realise that you're not alone. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And then it, and then it, it almost becomes, I don't want to say addictive, but it actually feels good because you get that in it that, I think that, that me too, when they, when they start nodding their head and, and, and they're, you know, like me too, like you, you feel that connection. I think there's an, there's an energy that comes off that and you kind of get almost addicted to that energy. I think it's, it's almost like, you know, like musicians, mm. you know, when the crowd's into what they're doing, you're just getting that energy back from it. It's just feedback. It's like a drug. It's like you can't get enough of that. And I don't know, I've, I've kind of found in clinics just the, the energy feedback you get from people when you talk about things that not a lot of people talk about, but everybody's thinking it in their head. Um, and it's something people want to talk about, but don't. You just get, I don't know, you get this cool vibe back from it. It's it's almost intoxicating, you know what I mean? Yeah, it made me think about um, the whole, like when people talk about the whole tribal thing, like the connection and, um, you know, I guess that's what, what we're meant to have is to have community and, and that tribe and feel a togetherness. So I wonder if that that is what comes into it um, <laughs> on those deep down roots. Yeah, I, I think so, yeah. No, but it's, 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 yeah, I'm just very, very lucky to be able to do what I do. And, and, um, and you know, I think I've been, I've been lucky to where at this point in time everything's come, Everything to me, it's all been leading up to this. Meaning, 
you know, everything I've done in the past to where people got to know who I am, whether it was through competing or, you know, YouTube videos of my crazy cat or whatever. <laughs> um, it's, I think all those things are, have given me some credibility to kind of wander off into woo-woo land a little bit and have people actually think it might be something worth trying. Yeah. I think if I, you know, I think if I had a man bun and wore a tie-dyed shirt or whatever and was trying to tell the same people that it wouldn't, they wouldn't even think about going there. So I'm, I'm, I'm just quite grateful. I've got a bit of credibility to where I can go off the track into woo-woo in a little bit and people are kind of think, well, if he thinks it's cool, I, I just may want to try it. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Yeah, it, it definitely. Um, the way it's all worked out has been just how it was meant to be. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, that's cool. Thank you so much, Warwick. Um, and I'm really looking forward to next time. <laughs> cool stuff. This podcast was proudly brought to you by Finesse Equestrian. For free videos and articles, head on over to finesseequestrian.com. You can also find me on Facebook or YouTube under Finesse Equestrian Training or on Instagram under Ali A. O'Brien. If you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to subscribe so you are the first to listen in, to screenshot and share on social media and rate and leave us a review so you can do your part in helping us to reach more horses and people.